just remember telling my, my roommate and friend at the time, I was like, this dude's gonna regret it. He's gonna regret this move and I'm gonna come back stronger. Welcome to Good AF, the podcast that interviews good guys who do good things. I'm your host, Matthew Nadu, and I have a question for you. When's the last time that you were fired from a job? How'd you handle it? This week's guest screenwriter, Charlie Wachtel, he knows the feeling. He's been fired more times than LeBron James has rings. So when a Facebook post sparked an idea for a potential movie, and with some obvious time on his hands, he began co-writing a screenplay that would quickly open doors for him. So quickly that the script would get him in front of some of the biggest names in Hollywood, like Spike Lee, and on the biggest stages in the industry, like the night he won an Oscar for his screenplay, Black Klansman. Welcome to this episode of Good AF. I'm your host, Matthew Nadu, and I'm here with Charlie Wachtel. Wachtel. <laughs> Wachtel. I butchered it. He literally just told me how to do it, and, and I butchered it again. kind of want to start off with you just giving us a brief intro, kind of uh, who you are, and we can kind of go from there. Sure. Um, my name is Charlie Wachtel. I'm a filmmaker living in Los Angeles, um, mostly known as a screenwriter these days, I guess, because um, I was a co-writer on Black Klansman, uh, co-writer, co-producer, and I guess you could say Oscar winner now. I guess you could say that's safe to say, an Oscar winner. So how, what, what initially brought you to Los Angeles, and where, where are you from originally? Uh, originally from New Jersey, uh, where I grew up in East Brunswick. I went to college in Washington, D.C. at American, and pretty much right after I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles after I saved up some money. I had the, the filmmaking bug. I got it in high school, and I just sort of let it carry me uh, and, and use my creative energies uh, to, to take me all the way to where I am now. And I'm assuming that that was a long path in between when you got here to, to where Yeah, it was, um, I've been here like nine and a half years. I started out as a Hollywood assistant when I first moved out here. My first internships were at Weed Road, under Kiva Goldsman on the Warner Brothers lot, and also Echo Lake, um, which was a management and production company. And those are unpaid internships. They were only supposed to last like, you know, three or four months. You split the week at both jobs, and uh, you're not getting paid or anything like that. The expectation that I had was that I was gonna be a barista or, you know, working at <laughs> Starbucks. Um, which is something that I had experience doing prior to moving to LA. So, but at the very least, I knew what the difference was between a latte and a cappuccino. So when it came time for picking up Starbucks drinks for my bosses, I knew what <laughs> I was doing. I knew how heavy the cup had to be. It was a cappuccino. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, I somehow got my foot in the door at United Talent Agency, which. Um, which UTA, that's one of the big boys. It is one of the big boys, and they do give you money to work there. Uh, it's not much, but it's something. So what are you doing when you're working here and you're not making much money, or it's like an internship where you're not making anything really, but you got to put in all this time. What are you doing to supplement that, that kind of income? 
well, I wasn't doing anything. I had saved up money to move out to Los Angeles so that I could be in a position to take these unpaid internships mm. for a certain amount of time. And there really was no backup plan. Um, if I didn't get a paying job, you know, as quickly as I was able to, then it was either going to be be a waiter, work at Starbucks, work yeah. at another coffee shop. Yeah. Did anybody help prep you when you came out here or you just kind of that was your own thing? Like, look, I'm going to save that way. I'm not panicked and stressed out. What? Yeah. I mean, you don't really have a complete roadmap completely worked out when you make the move to LA, especially when you don't really know anybody. It's it's sort of just a leap of faith that you're taking and you're 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 committed to figuring it out. I mean what I knew before moving to LA was New York did not offer the same kind of opportunities that LA offered. Mm -hmm. And I knew immediately once I came to LA and began to independently write and direct and produce that the community in LA was so much bigger and, and, and the resources that are around you are just way more, uh, way more resources than any city that I had even lived in. So if you wanted to make something, you had the means to make something and there was, you can't make any excuses. There's, there's, there's a whole community of people around you who are creative, who want to do what you're doing who, who specialize in all aspects of production. Um, there's never an excuse for you to, to not be able to move your dream forward. Okay, so you get your foot in the door and now you're at UTA. Which, by the way, I never wanted to work in an agency setting. Um, a lot of people like me who were writers don't want to work in that setting because it's kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, you hear a lot of horror stories at agencies I wanted to work for a producer. As far as how you're treated or just the, the general overall atmosphere? Everything. Yeah, just the, just the culture. You know, you got to, even the fact that you have to wear a suit every single day, it's, uh, you know, you, you're, you're walking into a shark tank. Does it feel like on Entourage? Does it feel like yes. Ari Gold? It's, it, it very much has that Entourage feel. There's a, there's a fear in the atmosphere and uh, yeah, I never wanted to work in that setting. I wanted to work for a producer right off the bat. But what I soon learned is you've got to have agency experience to get all those jobs. So once somebody had recommended me to UTA, I went in for the interview and I spoke with HR and I was very uh, honest and blunt with them. I was like, I don't want to be an agent. Most people go in, they say... I want to be an agent, even though they may not be telling the truth. I was just like, I don't want to be an agent. I want to be a director. I want to be a screenwriter. This is what I'm doing. And this is how I plan to use this job to, you know, forge ahead in my career. And that honesty seemed to help get me the job. And so I, I, I lasted at that company like a little over a year and a half working on desks, working in the mailroom as a trainee. And then I was finally able to get a job working for a producer who was uh, somebody who's a, a prominent independent film financier. Did that come from you working at UTA using those kind of those contacts? Or? 100%. Okay. 100%. I... So initially you sucked it up and we're like, look, 
I realize this is my ultimate goal, but to get there, I got to take these steps. So I'm going to sacrifice a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. And, and finally, once they see UTA on your resume, they start to pay closer attention to your resume and it gets you into a lot more doors. You get a lot more interviews. You hear a lot of, of you hear about a lot of job openings through your peers mm -hmm. at the agency because a lot of those, uh, openings are from clients. Your Rolodex grows exponentially and I can count on more than two hands the people who I was in the mailroom with who are now really successful, either either agents or they're production executives or they're produced screenwriters. You go to being a producer or working for a producer and you're the producer's assistant? Correct. And, and what all does that entail? And are you still writing at this? Like, how, how are you finding time to write in between? all? I mean, unless you want to be a career assistant, uh, which there are people out there who are career assistants, you're not going to be satisfied just doing what you do from nine to five or as Hollywood assistant hours go nine to uh, like 24, three o'clock in the morning uh, at the, you know, at, at the the beck and call of your yeah. <laughs> your boss who's doesn't have regular sleep hours I think if I think if you really want it you're going to find a way to keep doing it and if you're an assistant you have more access you start to see all these other scripts that are being passed around mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't very good a lot of them are talent package scripts that aren't very good can you and, explain what a talent package script is? Sure. So typically, producers, uh, whether or not they're represented by a talent agency, let's say in this instance they were represented by CAA, you get script, you get sent scripts that are in need of financing, that typically have various pieces of talent attached. It could be an actor attached. It could be an actor and a director. Mm -hmm. It could be a pair of actors, any combination that, you know, they could be in need of gap financing. And so a lot of the projects that you're being sent, these typically are, are vetted scripts and there's, there's good reason to finance them for whatever reason. They're not financed yet though. Either it's, it feels like too much of an in independent film or it's, uh, it's got good attachments, but maybe the material just isn't very good. Okay, so you're doing that. So you get to see all these scripts coming in. Does this influence you any way as far as like content that you want to write about? Or is it kind of like a lesson like, oh, this stuff works, this stuff doesn't work? I feel like this is an awesome learning opportunity. Totally, totally. I mean, you see how the sausage is made. The, the, the journey of a script, um, for, for you get to see the kind of things that are being made, the kind of material that's being made, and the kind of material that attracts certain talent. Mm -hmm. it, 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 makes you, it makes you hungrier. It, 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 it's, it allows you to see the opportunity right there in front of you. Yeah. And you're like, well, if I just wrote something, maybe I could be on the same track. And it, it really gets you exposed to everything that's in the marketplace. Um, I, I always say, if you want to write screenplays, you have to read screenplays and read good screenplays. Mm -hmm. 
you need to get that uh, the the look and feel of a good screenplay burn that into your brain uh, so you can you know write like the best of them nice all right so you go from that and in between in between uh, these jobs working for producers or working for agencies did you have any like really shitty uh, Hollywood horror jobs I wouldn't say I had shitty jobs I had some shitty experiences let's hear them um, if you want to throw them out there yeah I mean I was I was in one form or another laid off or fired four times as an assistant and and you just kept on plugging away I mean you're 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 backed into a corner you know you there's nothing harder than trying to find a job when you don't have a job you do you keep growing your Rolodex and, and that's always helpful and I definitely got exposure to a lot of jobs when I needed one, but like you get fired, you get fired for any reason out here in Hollywood and it may, it may have nothing to do with how well you're doing on the job. It could just be the impulses of your boss. Yeah. Um, I got fired from Europe once, uh, by one of my bosses, uh, who had an executive fire me, uh, from the LA office. Uh, but you were in Europe. I was not in Europe. Oh, okay. My boss was in Europe. And this was during a time when I was, you know, being told that I would be promoted, uh, yada, yada, yada. So, so how do you deal with that? Like, I know for me, I've had positions or I've had jobs where I, same thing. Like, I thought, oh, man, I'm getting this promotion. Everybody keeps talking. Next thing I know, um, well, no, it's not going that way. I remember. And I'm like, fuck, now what? That particular job, how I dealt with it, I, I went home it was such a shock just being fired in that moment um i bought a bottle of wine and i just downed the whole thing and i remember i like was just i wasn't crying i was just very very like crushed mm -hmm. and like depressed and i just remember telling my my roommate and friend at the time i was like you know this dude's going to regret it. He's going to regret this move. And uh, I'm going to come back stronger. And, you know, I always have a chip on my shoulder. But in a lot of cases, these are the experiences that shape you. And mm -hmm. so when you get fired, it's it's how you handle it that uh, is going to define who you are. Yeah. Well, what's your chip? What's my chip? I mean, I feel like you have to have a chip on your shoulder if you move to LA to try to work in this crazy business. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're saying, I'm going to bet on myself, even though the competition is fierce and the odds are stacked against me. Literally thousands of other people trying to do the exact same thing. Totally. If not more. And so you've, you've got to have, you know that chip you've got to you've got to have that attitude working in this business i feel um you've got to be self-motivated you've got to want it mm -hmm. if you don't want it you shouldn't be out here yeah and some people figure that out or some people they they want it for the wrong reasons and it's it's very clear that you don't really want to work in this field, you just want to be, you know, around celebrities. Yeah. I heard a great quote the other day. It was a guy was talking about how he wanted to be an actor and he realized once he got to 
once he, I think he went to, to Berkeley and like, once he got there, he realized that he just liked the idea of being an actor and everybody else actually cared about like the theory of acting. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, that that's not for me. I'm going to shift. Yeah. And, and but I think it's good to have that realization too. Cause sometimes it gets blurry. And eventually people do figure this out. Yeah. You, you move out here because you're passionate or you think you're passionate or you move out here because of the weather. And if you're not truly passionate, then you move back to the Midwest with your tail between your legs. You went from being the producer's assistant, anything, what happened between like that time and then the time where you first came along the story for, which inspired Black Klansman? So, uh, you know, I had a couple more industry jobs after that. And then the last time I was laid off, I was just like, okay, I'm done with this Hollywood assistant stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't make a career career out of it. And that's when I fell into copywriting um, in advertising, which uh, embarrassingly enough is something I learned about from the show Mad Men because I didn't know what a copywriter actually ever did until I watched the show. And then I was like, okay, so you're telling me I can get paid to write ideas for brands and ads and I was like oh that's that's interesting I didn't really know that's what a copywriter did and so I got on that track sort of as a fallback in case you know the Hollywood thing didn't work out and I got my foot in the door at a first I started reaching out to a bunch of my friends who had blogs and I said look let me write something for you for your website for free and I'll build up some content, a portfolio for myself, which is what I did. And then I was able to get into a boutique marketing agency as a a digital copywriter. So I was like writing all of the content that you see on websites for small, medium sized uh, franchisees uh, in the LA area. And, uh, that got me on that advertising track. I then went, started going to advertising school. I commuted to the San Diego portfolio studio. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had a real interest in this? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it, it was like, okay, let you just be realistic here. You're going to need a career in something. You're not going to be a career assistant. So give this a shot. And I started to really enjoy it and I, you know, was even in my spare time instead of doing short films like I would typically do, I started doing spec commercials Mm -hmm. and I would submit these commercials to contests. Some of them I've had, I had even had success in. Um, A spec commercial is kind of like you come up with an idea of a commercial that you think that would potentially do well. And if said company likes it, then they can move forward on that. Yeah. Or you, or you really just try to copy the 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 campaign strategy um of a brand and 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 make it seem like it's a real commercial that you could just watch on tv yeah um a lot of people in advertising are impressed by this because not a lot of people have spec commercials in their portfolios because a lot of people just come from advertising background they don't have video production or film background so i knew that that would help make my portfolio stand out 
and I was right about that, but it took a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, learning to, to get to that point where my portfolio just wasn't a bunch of digital blog posts. Yeah. It evolved into, you know, nicer looking spec work with cool slogans and cool, full strategic, fully strategic integrated campaigns. And yeah, I, I, after that I worked at a, an ad agency, like a serious ad agency for a few months working on Hormel, uh, writing about bacon and mm. sausage and yeah, good chili over there, hot too. dogs. And yeah, they have a million products. Um, and that was, you know, an experience writing a bunch of product descriptions and the content for actually working with a real team of yeah. web designers, making some really serious looking websites. Is this something that you enjoyed? And like initially when you think about it, it's funny because I think of Hormel and I think of like meats and stuff, but was it more about the product or was it more about the creativity that you were able to have to like make this company come to life? Yeah. I mean, there's only so you can't go too far with your creativity because brands are, are very risk averse. Mm -hmm. So you, you get your brief, you know what the parameters are and you've got to write things in a way so that the agency doesn't get fired essentially. So it's, uh, it can be very limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really just completely let your creativity flow and pour out of you, but mm-hmm. um, that's the challenge, and that's what kind of makes it fun. And I, I'd gotten that job because I'd linked up with a creative staffing agency uh, that happens to represent copywriters and web designers and illustrators. Yes. Saw my portfolio, and and eventually I started getting phone calls for contract jobs just like that one. Um, I started writing radio spots and even some broadcast TV spots for different brands. And that was really cool. Again, not as creative as I would have liked to have been, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it was, it was still an easier transition for me having had a, a film background. And are you still writing screenplays in your spare time or are you kind of weaning off that a little bit? I had started working with my now writing partner um, a couple years before all of that. And so we had written a TV pilot together. We were polishing it off together. And uh, then Black Klansman came around the summer of 2015. So that was the second thing that we worked on together. How did you come across that story? Because it is based on a true story, correct? Correct, correct. Uh, I was on Facebook one day doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing and uh, a former classmate of mine had posted this article of uh, the Black Klansman and I read it and I there was a link to the memoir on Kindle in the article so I sent it to my writing partner we both read it we both ordered it and we thought to ourselves this is a movie and there was an email address for the publisher in the book jacket it was a small time publisher um, police and fire publishing. So the book really wasn't in bookstores and, uh, that was to our advantage because not a lot of people knew about it. You know, we later found out and we didn't find out until like, I think six months ago that, uh, somebody had already had the rights to it 
and for whatever reason they fumbled it after a year i don't know if they couldn't get a writer wow or whatever the deal was but we came in right a few weeks after that all fell apart right place right time so you guys write this script now what's now for everybody knows what ended up happening but what were the steps that took you from writing the script having the script and then getting it into spike's hands so within seven months of having read that article on facebook we had an offer on the script damn which is just insane have you ever had any offers before or was this your first hell no this is <laughs> this was the first and only at this point i mean we were nobodies we didn't have an agent we didn't have a lawyer we didn't have a manager um you know we were ourselves filling those voids and just trying to figure out what the hell we were doing and yeah we we essentially got permission from ron stallworth to adapt um his book on spec and we couldn't get the rights we also just didn't have the money to pay for the rights so we put his put our trust in ron he put his trust in us and was the book memoirs that he wrote yes yes okay interesting. after a couple months or so i ran into one of my contacts sean reddick uh, who at the time was working with QC Entertainment. And he, I soft-pitched the idea to him while we were writing it. And he invited us in to pitch it to him and his partner, Ray Mansfield. So we go in. We, we went from putting together this detailed outline to now pivoting and saying, oh, crap, we got to put together this pitch. And so... Dave and I, my writing partner, we put together like a very concise 10 minute pitch. We rehearsed the hell out of it. <laughs> we, you know, rehearsed it ad nauseum uh, until we were completely off book. And it's like a performance. We yeah. go in and we thought, you know, the way it went, we like, so it felt like we sold it in the room. And at the time, and like, how lucky is this? They go, we're working on this other movie right now. We're working with Jordan Peele on his directorial debut, mm. uh, Get Out. And at that time, we were talking because they had asked us who we envisioned having the lead, uh, the role of the lead. And we're like, Jordan Peele was a name that came to mind. So how lucky is that? Wow. It's, uh, it's talk about right place, right time. And so a couple months after, we sent them, I think was a third or fourth draft of a script. They made an offer on it, and we brought them, uh, we put Ron in touch with them. Ron came out to visit, and it all kind of just went from there. It took a few months to get it all negotiated. I called a favor in from someone who I used to be in the mailroom with at UTA, who was an agent at the time. And... He did the deal, and we had an entertainment lawyer do the deal, and that was that. Wow. So what's going through your mind when you're sitting, well, one, when you're sitting in that room and you're pitching it, and it's like, you know that you have something great, but it's like, man, like, how do I convince the world of it, or these guys who could change my life? Like, how are you getting that confidence? You guys, like, pep talk each other, or are you just kind of like, oh, we yeah. know what we got, this yeah. is good, just trust yeah. it. I'm going to have to be doing a lot of those pep talks this week, actually. 
when I when I go in the car with my writing partner to do some pitches for a TV show we're trying to sell. Awesome. Um, yeah, you got to get yourself a little psyched up because you're selling yourselves. You're selling. You're trying to convince people that you're confident enough in a story that you created mm-hmm. or that you've adapted that they can invest millions and millions of dollars into, which is kind of insane when you think about it. But that's essentially what you're doing. So you've got to get yourself fired up for it. And if you're not fired up for it, then I don't, I I can't offer any advice to you. Listen, I know I'm not supposed to say I'm a good guy, but I've been using good guy wellness hair products and they have me feeling good AF. Speaking of which, today's podcast is brought to you by Good Guy Wellness. Good Guy Wellness is a four-step hair care line designed to help good guys keep their hair on their heads. Try saying that five times fast. But seriously though, it's a four-step system. It's a shampoo, conditioner, topical solution, and these awesome gummies that will keep your hair looking healthy, strong, and most importantly, there. guys end up finalizing the contracts or whatever so how's it get into spike's hands so yes so uh jordan while jordan were, peel jordan peel while um qc entertainment was in production on get out so they had his year they were on set with him every single day mm-hmm. and they showed him the book black Klansman. they showed him our script and jordan really seemed interested in it and he's like i want to be involved in some capacity, either as an actor, a director, producer, or maybe all of the above. And so he, at that point, attached himself as a, as a producer. A few months before Get Out came out, and like literally three days after Jordan had just won like an Emmy for uh, Key and Peel, we're in a meeting with him and all the producers. We're sitting down together, and uh, he's giving us notes on our scripts because we're being hired for a rewrite. And, you know, at the time, I think the general feeling was this could be something that Jordan directs after Get Out. This could be his follow-up. And Jordan was really great. He's really kind, super collaborative, made us feel really at home in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, we were, you know, we, we were off to... What, right. what is he like in real life? Is he funny or is he kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm very confused with him because I saw him like initially with like Key and Peele. So he's super funny. And then all of a sudden he directs get out and then it's like this serious kind of like turn that he took. So I'm like, huh, what is the real? Yeah. I mean, don't sleep on Jordan Peele. <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll get you, you know, he's, uh, he's a character. He's just a character. Um, I would say just in meeting him, he's a very normal dude, a very normal, nice guy, no ego. He's not always going to be the characters he plays on TV, Yeah. Uh, but he's a serious dude. He's a serious filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, he's a hell of an artist. So, so you go from there, you guys do the rewrites. He gives you some notes. So yeah, we, we pretty much had a month to get the rewrite in and we we were able to do that, and a few months go by, Get Out comes out, it does its thing, and at that point we're like, oh crap, we're not, getting, it. We're not getting Jordan as a director now, <laughs> he's probably going to want to do his own stuff. 
And so there was like a little bit of a lull where we're like, crap, we don't know what's going to happen. The production company that has our script is now on top of Hollywood, which is good. But who, so you never know what's going to happen once you sign away the rights to your script. Anything can happen. Blumhouse, shortly after, got involved, uh, came on as a producer. So we knew it was going to be the same team as Get Out for Black Klansman, which was very encouraging for us. And then a couple months after, I get a phone call that summer that Spike Lee is, he read the script. He's all about it. He's flying out to LA to meet the producers. Damn. And uh, this is happening. What, what, are you, what are you doing in that moment when you get that call? Beaming. <laughs> you celebrate a little bit? There was probably a fist pump in there, maybe two. <laughs> I remember I, I got the news and then I called my writing partner afterwards and he just didn't believe me. He, he just didn't believe me. I was like, I'm You're not You're smiling joking. right now. He's got a big smile on his face. I'm not joking here. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is this is gonna be a Spike Lee joint from the mind of Jordan Peele, so wow. let that sink in. What a combo! All right, so Spike Spike wants to come on. He wants to work with you guys. Uh, what what are the next steps for you as a writer? I know obviously as a production, you start casting, you start bringing together the team, you start looking at locations. Did you guys have any kind of say in any of that creativity, or was it kind of like, hey, we wrote, this is everything, Spike, kind of go, do your thing? I mean, I guess in a nutshell, it was Spike, go do your thing. You know, we essentially handed off the baton to Spike and mm -hmm. Kevin Wilmot, and it was a very hands-off process for David and I. Um, every now and then, we'd be on a phone call about, like, casting and who we think could be a good idea for certain parts and all, but you know, we didn't really have any power, so to speak. Yeah. And and in influence. It was just a matter of, I guess, keeping us pacified, making us feel like we were involved. Mm -hmm. Um but who knows? I mean, you know, you like to think that you could influence. You know, we were given the shooting script before they shot. We offered notes on that. And, you know, some of those notes were probably accounted for. Some of them were probably not accounted for and that's just the, the nature of the beast. Were you on set? I was not on set. Okay. Which was okay because we, by that point, had like so many things we were working on in, you know, preparation for, you know, trying to capitalize off of what, if any, buzz this movie was going to create. So we were just hard at work. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, one of the, scenes that really stuck out is in the beginning when um ron stallworth who's played by denzel washington's son correct and him and the girl that he's with when they go to it's not really like a rap it's like a more of like a speech the, uh the speech scene whatever right and the kwame turi rally yeah and you have uh Corey hawkins on there oh yeah which he was fantastic yeah and the irony of that is i was actually in hollywood with Corey when he got a text from Spike Lee that said, hey, I got something. Can you come to New oh, York wow. and meet up? Yeah, yeah Corey, is, Corey is phenomenal in the role. I, I wish he got more buzz for an Oscar nomination because mm -hmm. he just stole that entire scene. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I think the entire movie, I saw it in theaters and it just, there was no law. If like everything had me on the edge of my seat or like, no, don't do that, do this. No, what the hell are they? And I love movies like that. They get me so involved and, and amped up on that. So the movie gets finished. 
it hits theaters. It's a huge success as far as just everybody's talking about it. And then can you go into how the whole Oscar process happened? You know, I don't know if anyone really expected it to turn out the way it turned out as far as the awards buzz. Um, but it helps to have a studio and focus features that really supports your film. Mm-hmm. Um, most films don't get any support right out of the gate. They don't get a true release or they just get dumped. Uh, focus, even though this was a summer release, really stuck with it and they put the money into marketing this thing. All the credit goes goes to them and to Spike Lee who was tirelessly marketing this thing, which, which felt like on a, a daily basis, he was always out there canvassing and, mm-hmm. and, and, and working it um, all these uh, screenings and Q and A's and receptions, he was out there and yeah, we were just, we found a way to stay a part of the conversation. I don't know exactly how, I don't know the recipe for that, but again, it helps to have a studio that was supportive. Well, what was that night like, man? What's it like when they're, they're announcing and you're sitting there and, and obviously this is so huge for Spike because this is something that you know, he's been very vocal about as, as far as, um, just his body of work and what he's done. And he's made so many great films and it's like, that's the one thing he's missing. And you guys were able to help him get that. Like, what's that like that tension just sitting there and waiting? Well, yeah. And to be clear, he, he more so helped us get that, Mm -hmm. I think, but yeah, sitting there, I, I I had been downing a few drinks Mm -hmm. during the show because it was just, it's you can't really process the fact that millions and millions of people are watching this thing and mm-hmm. your category is going to be announced soon and whether or not you think you're going to win there's a possibility that you could win which means there's a possibility you're going to be on stage and nothing can really prepare you for that so in between commercial breaks i had been going and grabbing a drink from the bar and swigging back right when our category was being announced i just remember like closing my eyes and i i reached across to my uh my writing partner's wrist and i just like grabbed it and like closed my <laughs> eyes and just like squeezed i didn't really want to even look at the the previews of all the films that were being nominated for the category i just couldn't and then of course samuel jackson says my name and Damn. that's just like what? What? <laughs> and I love him or Morgan Freeman. Those are the two people I want to hear say my name. Yeah, like, and so I just remember I I jumped out of my seat and like punched the air, and I remember the room being like dead silent because like I don't think anyone knew who I was even. <laughs> so like, obviously, if it was Spike's name first, you would have had a different reaction. But like, I. I I don't know what I was thinking, but I just jumped out of my seat and yeah, it's uh it's it's a blur kind of, but Dude, no one can blame you for anything you did. <laughs> Holy shit, that's wild. It's very wild. Very wild and What's yeah. it like going up on that stage? Knowing everybody's watching and just are you thinking about that or are you just like, dude, it's so in the zone? I just remember like hugging Brie Larson. Yeah, it's a blur. They put that Oscar in your hand and it's like, wow, um, 
I guess nothing else really matters at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I wasn't particularly concerned about what I was going to say if I had any time to speak because I knew Spike was going to take the lead on that. And yeah. honestly, that took a little bit of the pressure off. Can't even put it into words, really. Do you remember the rest of the night? I remember the Vanity Fair party where it was the most star-studded event ever. Was it somebody you were you were super stoked on seeing? Elton John. What? Really? Odell Beckham Jr., Scottie Pippen. Uh, <laughs> Three people I did not expect you to see. Yeah, right? I remember uh, Lady Gaga, who like we were hanging out with after the award, after we won the award. Mm-hmm. But we couldn't hang out with at the Vanity Fair party because like her bodyguard was just sort of like standing directly in front of her, not really letting anyone talk to her, which is pretty funny. Is Spike carrying around the Oscar at this party? I don't know if I think Spike and I kind of lost each other mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, I'm sure he was at the party, though, at some point. Yeah. But yeah, did you guys exchange any? Do you guys have any time to like talk afterwards or? Or just kind of reflect on what you guys created together? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I think right afterwards in, in, in when we were taking tequila shots with Brie Larson, <laughs> we, we, you know, gave each other a high five and a hug. And I remember Ron was back there. Mm-hmm. And I think Ron told me, he said something along the lines like, I love you. <laughs> and I was like, I love you too. Um, but yeah, it's uh, can't can't really put it into words. It's just uh, yeah, we were elated. Yeah. All said and done, how do you feel about how what was made compared to like what you wrote? Was it pretty accurate on the way that they they kept it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the director is going to put his own stamp on it mm-hmm. and his signature, and you want that. Yeah. You want that, especially, especially if it's Spike Lee. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a Spike Lee joint, and I couldn't be more proud. <laughs> what are you thinking the first time you saw the movie in the? Did you see it in theaters? First time I saw it was at the Cannes Film Festival. Fuck, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you got one hell of a ride on this. Yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> yeah. Did you see it in any theaters, like in L.A. or anything? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw it a couple times or in go L.A. go back to your hometown and just casually stroll into theater back in Brunswick and be like, oh, hey. No, I, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't back in Jersey for that, but yeah, I, I did see it a couple times in theaters in LA and it's mm-hmm. like, they were packed theaters and it's just, it's a very strange feeling seeing all these people come out and pay money to see your movie. Well, I thought it was fantastic from casting to writing, like everything about it was like perfect. Thank you. It was, it was, it was awesome. Even at the end I was like, oh man, I was like, that was fucking awesome. And, uh, which is, and, and. I also want to congratulate you because it seems like now on in like cinema, everything is it just seems like these action movies slash like uh, like Avenger type kind of stuff. And and up until last year, I was having a conversation with somebody and I was like, hey, it's like where where is the industry going? Because it just seems like everything happens to be like superheroes. And then you see like a film like Black Klansman and you're like, okay, cool. There's still hope and and it's still going to go strong Mm. with like that genre. And not just like this oversaturated, you know, comic stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you there's, I feel like always going to be demand for 
movies like Black Klansman, yeah. um, they're 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 getting more rare, more few and far between with all these uh, superhero movies. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's good that I was able to be a part of a studio slate that wasn't a superhero movie in yeah. uh, 20, 2018. Damn, beautiful. So I got a couple questions just to wrap this up. Did you ever have um, a moment where like fear stepped in? In, in, in just not even only like your writing career out here, but even within that process of, of the film being done? Did you ever think, like, oh, oh, yeah, my stuff's not good enough or like, yeah, whatever. absolutely. Well, uh, a lot of the fear was we never had the rights to this thing. Mm -hmm. So if the author wasn't satisfied with our script or wasn't satisfied with us, you know, he could have sold his rights to someone else yeah. or even if he was satisfied, whoever he sold his rights to could have just said, you know what? Screw these guys and their script. We're just going to hire other writers to write it. Um, and then after the movie gets optioned, there's, there's always the fear that, well, <laughs> what if the production company just never makes it? Mm. What if they just sit on it and nothing happens with it and it's totally out of our control? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's scary not being able to control all of these things, but you have to just do your part and try to write a script, knock it out of the park as best as you can and give it the best chance possible to uh, get made and get made fast. Is there any moments in your life where you find that you're shy? Shy? Mm-hmm. In what sense? In just like uh, kind of times where you, you step back or like situations that you feel uncomfortable in? Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, all the time. <laughs> all the time it's 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 very difficult on a day-to-day -day basis working in a business with a lot of you know type a's mm -hmm. and uh there's constantly pressure to be the best version of yourself all the time naturally a, a shy person i think I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. I, I love that because, you know, you see, I used to always just think that, and I'm kind of type A, so I used to always think, oh, like, you know, I'm good to, I'm good to go on like all these scenarios. And then I realized the older I get and the more like, especially being in Hollywood, I'm like, shit, like I find myself getting shy a lot because you're comparing yourself to like all these other people. Yeah. Do you still see yourself doing that or is there kind of like less stress now or like less pressure? Now that um, you've you've pretty much hit the very top of of your of your profession, I I, I stay grounded and humble. Um, I I don't really I'm not the kind of person that lets things change me so easily. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's healthy, and I've always, you know, worked my butt off. For everything nothing really ever came to me so i know that that's what i have to keep doing final question here and i i super appreciate it thank you for letting me touch this oscar it's incredible did spike no touch this too 
uh, I don't know if he touched mine, but uh, <laughs> he like, got his own. That thing's fantastic. Well, it's beautiful, and and I appreciate you spending the time here. And the final question is, for you, what does it mean to be a good guy? I think it just means being up front with mm. people and uh, not thinking that you're above anything and treating people like they're on the same level as you. Mm-hmm. Um, giving people the time of day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, not thinking that you're, you're better than anybody. Yeah. And that's a beautiful full circle because it's like people gave you the time and people allowed doors to open up for you in the beginning to lead you where you are now. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be that future who does that for somebody else at some point, especially in this industry. So yeah. I find that a beautiful circle. Cool. Well, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. Uh, super stoked for you. I'm actually, guys, just for the record, like stars actually do what we do too. Like he's wearing a t-shirt like I'm wearing, just casual pants. Like you're just a normal, cool guy. I'm a star. <laughs> you won an Oscar. Holy shit. You won an Oscar. <laughs> Embrace that. I am. All right. Thank you so much, Charlie. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Good Guy Wellness. Good Guy Wellness. Good products for good guys for good hair.